want to welcome those watching online as well. It's great to have you worship with us. If you're new to our congregation, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life. And at the end of our service, I'll be downstairs in the lobby area. We'd love to meet you if we haven't met before. So please uh, approach me, give me your name and all that uh, good stuff there. We're going to be uh, in the book of Exodus chapter 20. And so if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, if you haven't, just join me there. Uh, the book of Exodus. We are actually in the season of Lent. Lent kicked us off, uh, Ash Wednesday kicked off the season of Lent. Uh, and Lent is an opportunity for the church to focus on the themes of repentance and on fasting and on returning to the Lord, which is why that song is actually a good Lenten song of us returning to the Lord. And what I want to do, we've been in a series focusing on the Ten Commandments. I'm going to um, hopefully frame the rest of the commandments as we're going to go through uh, up to Easter in a kind of Lenten kind of a way. And so the commandments, not as just things that we are called to do, but as also framing it as what we are to give up as well, as we tend to think, giving up, tend to think about giving things up for Lent. Along the lines of Lent, I wanted to remind you that we have a, a wonderful resource, a Lent devotional. We had uh, some staff, some elders, some New Life leaders who contributed to this 40-day devotional on repentance, prayer, fasting, and justice. And since this is the first Sunday of Lent, this is a good opportunity for you to uh, grab this resource. It's available downstairs uh, for $8. It's worth, I believe, every uh, penny you spend to keep you uh, anchored in Jesus throughout the Lenten season. And so we'll have it available downstairs in our uh, bookstore uh, downstairs. And so also that this is the season of Lent, we did this last year, but uh, after I preach throughout the next few weeks, we're going to have just a time of ministry, of prayer, uh, and so I'll preach and then we'll worship together a little bit more and then we'll have some time of just uh, prayer and ministry. So as you hear this message today, as the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, uh, maybe the Spirit is prompting you to receive some ministry today and so we want to have that available to you uh, before we close our service and our gathering here. But we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse number 8, we're fo focusing on the four Fourth commandment, which is the Sabbath commandment. And so we've done the first one, which is you shall not have any other gods before me. The second one, which is you shall not make any graven images or graven idols. The third one is you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. The fourth one here is remember the Sabbath. Remember, just take that four, turn that into a pillow, take a good nap there. Uh, the fourth commandment, and then next week, uh, in a couple of weeks actually, we'll go into honoring your father and mother. But uh, Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse number eight, hear the word of the Lord. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day, Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. If you've been at New Life for a number of years or very recently, you know this is one of the key values of our church here, Sabbath. And so for some of you, this is going to be the hundredth time you've heard it. For some of you, it's going to be the first time you've heard it. No matter where you are on the spectrum, we can all grow in this area. And God has great gifts for us in store. And so let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. 
as we look at this fourth commandment today. Lord Jesus, we open ourselves up to you through the power of your spirit. Lord, speak to us. Lord, we need a word in an exhausted, restless world. We need a word from you, Lord. And so speak to us about the rest we need and the rest beneath the rest that we need. So we offer this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. This past week, I came across a CBS news clip about a real big problem happening in Japan. And this was a clip from a couple of years ago, but I find it to be uh, incredibly relevant for our time. And so I wanted to show you this uh, two-minute clip as we think about a phenomenon in Japan about overwork. And I think it has some important uh, perspective for our lives today. And so check out this quick two-minute clip. A surge in work-related deaths is forcing Japan to take a hard look at its office culture. CBS News Radio's Lucy Kraft has more from Tokyo. Years after losing his son, Itsuo Sekigawa is still in shock, grief-stricken and angry. Straight out of college in 2009, his son Satoshi proudly joined a prestigious manufacturer. But within a year, he was dead. Investigators said the stress of working extreme hours drove him to take his own life. The young engineer fell victim to the Japanese phenomenon of karoshi, or death from overwork. An early day for him was going home at 9 p.m., his father says. If work wasn't finished, he'd stay until midnight. Young women are just as vulnerable. This month, state broadcaster NHK revealed one of its reporters, 31-year-old Miwa Sato, had died from heart failure after working near 14-hour days. It took four years for NHK to announce Sato's death. Her parents accused the network of a cover-up. The reality is that in Japan, workers are working ridiculous hours. I think that's hard to deny. American labor activist Louis Carlet says such sacrifice is seen as a virtue here. There's a strong cultural um, norm that you have to devote everything to the company and you're a corporate warrior. And I think that's what really pushes people over the edge. Kadoshi hits everyone from doctors and truck drivers to computer programmers and construction workers in Japan. Grieving father Sekigawa says while Americans work overtime to get ahead, Japanese work extreme overtime because they are forced to. Last year, just under 2,000 Japanese committed suicide for reasons linked to their jobs, a number that has remained stubbornly high for two decades. Families of Karoshi victims say the government's proposal to cap overtime at 100 hours a month and exempt many professions won't stop people from working themselves to death. There is no job worth a human life, said Sekigawa. But if our politicians pass laws that really hurt companies, they'd lose elections. So I'm afraid the situation is insoluble. Lucy Kraft, CBS News, Tokyo. When many of us see that video of Karoshi, what's happening in Japan, many of us probably think, oh, that is a big problem out there, way out there. And as we think about that, and that might be our statement or the thought that comes to mind, that could not be uh, the biggest mistake. That could be the biggest mistake that we can say because 
The issue of karoshi is not just something in Japan, it's something that has infected the entire world. The Atlantic came out with an article last week entitled, um, Workism is Making Americans Miserable. And the author of the column makes what I believe to be a perceptive case, and he says that, that work has morphed into a religious identity promising transcendence and community, but failing to deliver. And he says what people are living according to is something called a gospel of work. And it goes like this, he said, the, the decline of traditional faith in America has coincided with an explosion of new atheisms. Some people worship beauty, some worship political identities, others worship their children, but everybody worships something. And workism is among the most potent of new religions competing for congregants. What is workism? It is the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but also the centerpiece of one's identity and life's purpose. Now, biblically, work is a good thing. Work was created before sin entered into the world. I know you don't believe that. I know you believe work is something that happened after sin, but work is actually something that came before sin. God creates the world. He creates humanity. He gives them things to do. God creates. God shapes. God brings order out of chaos. He creates image bearers to do the same thing that he does. And so God creates work to be good. The problem becomes work becomes a power, and overwork becomes a power that destroys our lives. And whether it's done to us or whether we do it to ourselves, we often have a very dangerous and complicated relationship with work. And what I'm referring to with work here is not just the work that we do, the paid work that we do. I'm also talking about the unpaid work that we do. Because when we look at our lives, our lives are often about non-stop work, whether it is paid work or whether it is unpaid work, which is why the fourth commandment is so important for the sake of our souls, so important for the sake of our community, so important for the sake of the world. Now, again, as we look at these commandments, it's important to, to ground the Ten Commandments with a particular theological starting point. Because when we explore the Ten Commandments, the important truth about the commandments are not necessarily found within the Ten per se. The starting point, theologically speaking, is found right before the Ten Commandments are given. The people of God, generation after generation, were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, slaves. Your great-great-great-grandmother slave, great-great-grandfather slave, great-grandmother slave, your, your grandfather slave, your parents were slaves, you were a slave. And if you had children, generation after generation after generation would be slaves as well. For four centuries, they had one identity, slaves. And to be a slave meant that you had no dignity. To be a slave meant you had no sense of identity. To be a slave meant that you were treated not as a human being, but as a human doing. Because in Egypt, there were no vacations. In Egypt, there is no PTO time. In Egypt, there's no three-day weekends. In Egypt, there's no maternity or paternity leave. In Egypt, there's no sick days. If you don't work, you die. Now, it's fascinating because I heard this, that exact statement just a couple of days ago as I was coming out my apartment building. I was walking out, and I heard a guy screaming on the phone. I don't know who he was talking to, but he said these two words, you either work 
or you die. I said, I should invite this guy to church. Uh, this guy needs to come to church with me. You work or you die. And that's all he said. And I'm thinking, this is not Kuroshi and this issue of what's happening in the Ten Commandments. It's not just something that happens ancient t- in ancient times. This is something that's happening in a, in, the, in a very real way in our world today. And so for four centuries, the people of God are slaves. And then God mercifully hears their cry. He sends Moses to deliver them. They go to the Red Sea. And after their deliverance, God wants to instill dignity. After their redemption, God wants to instill the reason for their liberation. After their salvation, God wants to instill to them the significance for their lives. And as a result, God gives them the Ten Commandments. Now, again, the Ten Commandments was not given to secure their salvation. The Ten Commandments were given as a result of their salvation. The Ten Commandments were not given to establish their freedom. The Ten Commandments were given to show what free people look like. God doesn't give the Ten Commandments to the people of God while they're in Egypt and says, obey these things 100% correctly and then I'll, I'll liberate you. No, God liberates them out of sheer love. And then gives them the Ten Commandments to show this is what free people look like. And so the theological starting point for us is is found right before it. It says, and God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. There's nothing you can do to earn the love of God. It is freely given. But then God gives commands to show what free people look like. And so I want you to hear this. God loves us and God commands us. Now, some of us believe in a God who commands but doesn't love. And that God would be a tyrant. Others believe in a God who loves but doesn't command. That God would be a teddy bear. And so whether you have a tyrant on one side or teddy bear on the other, the God of the Exodus reveals a different kind of of character, that this is a God who loves us and commands us, a God who commands us because this God loves us. And so he commands us because he knows what's best for us. He knows what's best for our souls. He knows what's best for our families. He knows what's best for our world. So God commands us, and the fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. Now, for many of us, we have a hard time not always doing something. Again, whether it's paid or unpaid, we find ourselves engaged often in nonstop activity. And it's actually this commandment, the fourth one, Dorothy Bass, a a Christian author, has said that this commandment is the only command out of the ten that we brag about breaking. And we brag about breaking it by letting everyone know how busy and productive we are. How busy and... Think about that for a second. We would never brag about the other commandments like we do about the fourth one. We, we don't say, you know what, I, I was just worshiping idols the other day. It was fantastic. Just, it, it was, I had a great time doing that. Killed someone yesterday, I loved it. It was, it, was, it was great. We don't brag about breaking the other commandments, but we brag about breaking the fourth commandment by talking about how busy we always are, how productive we always are. And yet the word to us is remember the Sabbath. 
And so our lives need this message because we find ourselves exhausted. We find ourselves tired. We, we hear this in our greetings with people. Someone says to you, how are you doing? Our typical customary response is busy. And the reason we say that, number one, is because we want to let people know, I can't help you. And, and so, how are you? Busy. <laughs> can't help you. We, and we say that just to get it clear from the very beginning. I can't help you. I got no time. I, I got no time. But the second reason why we say busy is because we are busy. We are tired. We are exhausted. We need Sabbath. Now, we always say busy because we actually base our value on being productive. We base our value on being busy. And not only is it a personal value for us, our society rewards this value. Our society rewards busyness and productivity. How? By giving you more work to be busy and productive. It's called a promotion. You get more stuff to do. And sure, you'll get compensated for it, but our society rewards busyness. Our society rewards productivity. And the reason we do this is because we want to make sure that we don't succumb to any kind of laziness. But the reality is we are dangerously depleted. And so we need to remember the Sabbath. Now, scripturally, there are two reasons and two theological foundations as to why we are to re remember the Sabbath. One is given in Exodus 20. The other is given in Deuteronomy 5. In Exodus 20, the passage I just read, the ground, the theological ground of keeping the Sabbath, the foundation of keeping the Sabbath is we are to keep Sabbath because this is what God did. And Moses is saying, keep Sabbath. God did it. And so Sabbath is an act of imitation. We are imitating God when we rest. But the second foundation of Sabbath is given in a different passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy 5. In Deuteronomy 5, the people of God, it's a new generation. The old folks have died. They're new folks. They're about to go into the promised land. They don't really know the Ten Commandments. And so Moses has to give it to them in a fresh way. A new generation needs to hear these commandments again, which is where the word Deuteronomy comes from. It's a big word that simply means the second giving of the law. Deutero means second. Nomos means law. It's the second giving of the law. The law was given the second time in Deuteronomy. But in Deuteronomy 5, the reason why the commandment to, to keep Sabbath is given is given for another reason. In Deuteronomy 5, it says these words. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. In Genesis, in Exodus 20, we keep Sabbath because it's an act of imitation. In Deuteronomy 5, we keep Sabbath because it is an act of liberation. Imitation and liberation. These are the two theological foundations out of which we live. And so in Deuteronomy 5, we keep Sabbath not just because this is what God did. In Deuteronomy 5, we keep Sabbath. You are to rest because this is what free people do. If, you're, if you cannot rest, you're not free. It's as simple as that. If you cannot rest, you are not free. 
Now, it's important to make an important cultural distinction here because the problems we have in 2019 are different from the problems that were taking place when these commandments were given. When the commandments were given in ancient times, there was a literal external pharaoh who was telling these people, work or die. Work or die. There was an external pharaoh. We don't have external pharaohs. Some of you say, you should meet my boss. But uh, we don't have external pharaohs. But what we do have, all of us, is an internal pharaoh living within us who says to us, produce, or you, your life means nothing. Work or die. Make something of yourselves or else you're not valuable to the world. We don't have an external pharaoh, but we have an internal slave driver that often keeps us working nonstop in our minds, in our bodies. We have an internal pharaoh. And it is to this internal pharaoh that this fourth commandment comes to us. Now, throughout history, this fourth commandment has been seen in two primary ways in the church. It's been seen either as an act of legalism or as irrelevant. For some people in the church throughout history, the Sabbath is legalism. It's about everything you can't do, everything you better not do. And so keeping Sabbath was akin to if you don't keep it, you are not saved, a legalism. But then what happened is the pendulum swung the other way, and for many people in the church, they say, oh, that's irrelevant. It has nothing to do with us. That's an Old Testament thing. We don't need the Sabbath. But what I want to show you is that the Sabbath is neither to be about legalism or irrelevance. The Sabbath really is a spiritual formation practice, a 24-hour period with no have-tos or shoulds, which is to lead to deep rest and renewal. Deep rest and renewal. Now at New Life, we've had a framework that we've worked this out. Some of you are new here. Some of you need to hear this again for the hundredth time. But we've had four words to describe what we talk about Sabbath. It's stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. That these four words frame a Sabbath for us. We stop our work. We literally stop our work. The word Sabbath literally means to cease, to stop. We rest. It says God rested. The, the word in Hebrew where it says God rested means God exhaled, a big, massive, cosmic, it's done. We delight. God looks back at creation and says, this is very good. He delights. Sabbath is the day of delighting. Sabbath is the day of contemplating, of noticing. Those are the four words that we typically think about with Sabbath. But what I, what I want to do is I want to hope to, I want to give like a fresh angle of Sabbath by highlighting five truths that could help us get on our journey. Because for some of us, your life is nonstop. And sooner or later, your body's going to feel it. Sooner or later, you are going to have a nervous breakdown. Sooner or later, you're going to get sick. Sooner or later, you will not withstand the pace of life that you are undergoing right now. And so to, to respond to the pace of life and pressures we experience, God gives us the gift of Sabbath. And what I want to do is outline for us five truths of the Sabbath uh, practice here. 
And the first one is this, that Sabbath is not a reward for hard work. Sabbath is not a reward for hard work. We live in a society that says, if you want to rest, you better work. But not just work, you better work till you can't work anymore. Then rest becomes a reward to rest. It becomes a reward for all the work that you have done. This is how I understood Sabbath when I first started keeping it 11 years ago. I believe that if I wasn't exhausted by the time Sabbath came around, I did not have a right to rest. I didn't have a right. I'm not exhausted to the point where I need rest, and I feel guilty about resting. And so what, what, what I've done is I believe that Sabbath is a reward for work. But Sabbath is not a reward for work. Sabbath is a free gift from God to us. It's free. When you look at Genesis, the, think about Adam's first day. When God created Adam, Adam's first day was the seventh day, which was the Sabbath. Think about this for a moment. Adam's first day was a day of rest. Could you imagine going to a job and you get hired and the person says, you know what, tomorrow, don't even come in. You got a day off and you're getting paid for it. What, what, this is fantastic. Can I, where, can, can I work at this company? We would be, it'd be strange for us to hear, you start tomorrow, take a day off. But this is what God does with Adam. He creates Adam and his first day is a day of rest. Essentially saying rest is a gift. Adam, you can't earn this thing. I have given you rest as a gift. It's not a reward. It is a gift to receive. And and, and God's grace is never a reward. It's a free gift. And so some of us, we live with Sabbath guilt, rest guilt, that if I don't work myself to the bone, I don't deserve to rest. And that couldn't be the furthest thing from the truth. Rest is a gift that God gives us. The second truth about Sabbath is that Sabbath is a reminder that our work will remain incomplete. One of the more painful realities of Sabbath for me is there's always another email to send that I forgot to send before the Sabbath comes. And I'm reminded of everything I didn't do. And I feel guilty for the things I didn't. Oh, maybe I can just. But it's a reminder that our work will remain incomplete. Now, what, what many of us believe is when I finish this, then I'll rest. When I finish everything I have to do, then I'll rest. When I do my to-do list, then I'll rest. When I wash every dish, when, when every piece of laundry is washed, then I rest. But here's my question. When does it end? When does it end? There's always another dish. Where'd that dish come from? I just washed every dish. Where did, who put it in there? Where'd it come from? And then I see my son Nathan just throwing stuff in the sink. You better wash that thing, you know? You know, where did it come from? When does it end? It never ends. Sabbath reminds us then that our work will remain incomplete. Sabbath, you know what Sabbath is? It's It's a taste of death. It's us saying, there's a day's coming, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rest in the presence of Jesus. And listen, there's going to be some stuff that I didn't get to. When we die, there are going to be some emails I couldn't get to. I mean, let's just talk about it. 
there's going to be some stuff you didn't do. And when you see Jesus face to face, you're going to say, ah, oh, forgot that email. Really? It's <laughs> so Sabbath actually in a redemptive, not in some morbid kind of a way, in a redemptive kind of a way, it reminds us that we are going to die. And one day we're going to rest in the presence of Jesus. Therefore, we get to anticipate this day by saying some things will have to remain incomplete. This is why one of my favorite images of the Sabbath is in the Food Network. When I watch Chopped or Iron Chef and all that there, you get an hour to prepare a meal. And after the hour is up, when that clock hits zero, you can only do one thing. And that one thing is put your hand in the air and wave them like you just don't care, okay? This is all you can do. And, and if you're cooking on this show, you can't go, ah, I need to put one more piece of garnish, one more little bit of tomato, one thing. No, no, you cannot. It's a violation to add anything after the time has expired. This is a really great image for Sabbath. There's going to come a time in our week and a time in our lives where we can't do what we want it to do. Our work remains incomplete. Therefore, the invitation is to step away. Put your hands in it. Step away from the computer. Slowly back away from the computer. It's an invitation to rest, knowing that our work will remain incomplete. There's going to come a day where all things will be left unfinished. And we will rest in the arms of Jesus Christ. The third thing about Sabbath is that Sabbath is a day that moves us from production to presence. From production to presence. I heard of a story recently about a young doctor who, after finishing her psychiatry residency, began working in a New York City hospital. And she was friends with a doctor who was a few years ahead of her who was pregnant with her second child. And one day the pregnant doctor said to the younger doctor, do you know what I love most about being pregnant? And she said, I love being pregnant because it's the only time where I feel productive all the time. Even if I'm sleeping, I'm doing something. We can be so used to producing that our entire lives are about what we can make, what we can produce, what we can bring out with our hands. And we forget that Sabbath is an opportunity to move from production to presence. I thought about this this past Friday. Our Sabbath typically begins on 6 p.m. at 6 p.m. on Friday nights. And as the Sabbath was being kicked off this past weekend, my uh, children, our children wanted uh, me to take them to watch some trains pass. We live right by this bridge in Queens where the Long Island Railroad passes this way and this way. And they said, can we, can we watch trains? I'm thinking, this is not productive. Can we, can we watch trains just go, what are we going to do? Just watch them? Just, let's just watch the trains go. And I said, I don't know. And after 15 minutes of being harassed by them, I said, um, all right, let's, let, let's go. Now, I was tempted in that moment as the Sabbath was starting, I was tempted to bring my headphones with me so I can just put them in there. And as they're watching the trains, I could be listening to a sermon. I could be watch, listening to the news. I could be doing something that feels productive. 
And yet I thought about this sermon. I said, well, thank God I'm preaching this thing. I better not be a hypocrite. And so I left my, I, I, I left my, my headphones home. And as I got on the bridge and, and we're watching the trains go back and forth, I was just present to something that's often very difficult for me to do. And I'm just present with them. And the train is coming. So, oh, there's one. And as it comes closer, we're waving at the trains. We're telling them to honk the horn. They beep the horn. And we're having a great time. Another train doesn't beep the horn. We're upset at that train. And for a good 20, 25 minutes, trains are passing. It was rush hour. So a lot of them came to and fro, to and fro. And at that moment, I was thinking, oh, no, no, presence, presence. This, there's nothing productive. I can tell you this. There is nothing productive about watching trains go this way and that way and this way and that way for 30 minutes, this way and that way, this way and that way. But at that moment, what was happening was there was presence, presence. Sabbath is a day of being present to God, being present to each other, present to ourselves, present to creation, present to the food we eat. Sabbath is a day of presence. Sabbath is not just rest from making things. Sabbath is rest from the need to make something of ourselves. Sabbath is not just rest from from production. Because actually, if you rest more, you'll actually become more productive. But Sabbath is not about resting so I can be more productive. Sabbath is about resisting the idol of productivity. We are to rest to receive the gifts that God has given us by simply being present. Sabbath is a day of presence. And in our technologically advanced world, one of the things that we often rob each other of is presence, being one with each other, looking at each other in the eye. On our our Sabbath on Friday night, I decided um, I'm very tempted to just read and my kids are playing around me. And, and I said, Nathan, my four-year-old, just, I had him sit on the couch and I just asked him question after question after question. And I would think he'd get exhausted out of my question. He kept asking for more questions. What, what else? What, uh, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite thing? And we go on. And I realized at that moment, as he's thoroughly enjoying this here, we're exchanging presents. That Sabbath is the day that moves us from production to actually being present with each other. The fourth aspect of Sabbath, that Sabbath reminds us we're not God. And we need this reminder. We rest because, listen, the world is gonna run just fine without you. And the world is gonna be just fine without me. It's gonna keep running without us. One of my favorite uh, passages of scripture as a pastor is when Moses uh, he, he dies, Joshua comes in his place, and, and, and God gives Joshua his, his charge to lead the people of God, and God says this to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Okay, you get up and lead my people. I'm thinking, Moses, he, he's done a lot of work for God. I, I mean, and, and this, that's Moses. That's, Moses is dead. Let's keep it moving. And I thought, listen, the world it ran just fine without Moses. And the world's going to run just fine without me and just fine without you. We are not God. God is the one who's holding everything together. God is the one who's holding the world together. It's a reminder that we are not God. We long to be 
omniscient, knowing everything. And in a world of technological, we want to know everything. That's why we're on the computer so much. We're on Google so much. We're on social media so much. We want to know everything. But Sabbath is an invitation to create space for a holy unawareness and not try to be this omniscient God. Sabbath is an invitation. We want to be omnipresent. We want to be everywhere at the same time. But Sabbath reminds us to, to hold to the sacredness of the present moment, not longing to be everywhere. Only God is omnipresent. We, we want all power. We want to be omnipotent. Sabbath is a reminder that we have to enjoy the limits of our humanity rather than grasping at all kinds of power because God is holding the world together. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Colossians 1.17, which says, He, Jesus Christ, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And every time I come across that passage, I'm reminded of a series of images that I shared about five years ago at New Life. Some of you, this will be a good reminder. For some of you, this will be the first time that you've seen this. In Rockefeller Center, there is uh, a statue of of Atlas uh, right there in Rockefeller Center. And and Atlas uh, was cursed by the gods in Greek mythology to, to bear the weight of the world on his shoulders. And this is Atlas here. This is a picture of many of our lives. You're, you're, you, have, you feel like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders. But what's interesting about this statue of Atlas is there's this remarkable contrast and juxtaposition where Atlas is holding the world on his shoulders, but he's facing St. Patrick's Cathedral. It's actually a really wonderful juxtaposition, contrast. The world on his shoulders, and he's facing St. Patrick's Cathedral. But there's another wonderful contrast where Atlas is holding the world on his shoulders, within St. Patrick's Cathedral, behind the altar, there is another statue of a young Jesus holding the world in his hands, effortlessly. Five-year-old Jesus holding the world in his hands. Kindergarten Jesus holding the world. In his hand. Chicken nugget eating Jesus. Just <laughs> holding. Juice box sipping Jesus. Holding. Disney Junior watching Jesus. Just effortlessly holding the world in his hands. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. While you are straining, trying to keep everything together. Jesus is holding effortlessly the world together in his hands. The fifth and final thing about Sabbath, and then we're going to have a time of prayer, is that Sabbath reminds us that we are not God. The fifth one is Sabbath points us to the deeper rest that we need. In this respect, Sabbath keeping is not simply about a practice. Sabbath reminds us of a person. Sabbath is not just about a practice. Sabbath reminds us and points to a particular person because more than anything else, Sabbath reminds us of the true rest that we need. That more than anything else, our souls need rest. We live our entire lives trying to make a name for ourselves. We live our entire lives trying to be noticed. We live our entire lives seeking and trying to earn love from people. We live our entire lives trying to prove that we matter. And all of this is exhausting. And there's a quality of our souls that, that, that needs to be 
transform beyond just a particular practice that we hold. There's a person that we need to turn to. And Jesus Christ is the person who offers us the deep rest that our soul needs. We all have situational rest, a situational fatigue, where there's things that we're doing, things that we're doing, and we're just fatigued by situations. But then there's soul fatigue that just weighs on us, that no practice will help you with unless you understand the person behind the practice. And the person behind the practice is Jesus Christ, the one, the one who said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The way to experiencing this kind of rest is not found in what we do. It's found in what God has done, what God has done in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ undergoes the biggest most profound act of rest imaginable. Jesus Christ rests in a tomb after being crucified on our behalf. And as he rests in this tomb, the world was being restored. As he rests in this tomb, the world is being renewed. As he rests in this tomb, the world is about to taste resurrection. And the invitation of the Christian life is very simply this, exchange your exhaustion for the rest that only God can give you in Jesus Christ. Give him your exhaustion and the fatigue of your soul and let him give you the rest that your soul desperately needs. Exchange your exhaustion for his rest, your restlessness for his rest, your fatigue for his freedom. Receiving what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do is I want to invite our, our worship team and just our prayer ministry just to come to the front here for a moment. And we're going to close with just some singing and some, some ministry time because I don't have to sit with you for five minutes to know many of you in this room, you're exhausted. You're tired. And it's more than just a situational fatigue, like you had a rough week at work. It, there's a soul fatigue. You're just worn out. You're weary. And you need to experience the rest that only Jesus Christ can give. And so I want to have our prayer team just come forward here. Uh, just line up right in front of me. And as we worship and sing together, we'll do this for a good six, seven minutes or so. We want to be open in this Lenten season to return to Jesus, to remember his love, to repent of our sins to come to him. And as you sense the Lord speaking to you, if you're tired today, exhausted today, let us pray for you. Lord Jesus, Lord, you have secured for us the rest that our souls desperately need. And so now, Lord, may we receive that gift through prayer, through intercession, as we pray for one another, Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us in the way we should go. Fill our hearts. Give us the rest we need. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll have um, Ellen up there if you want to receive prayer on the top there, and, and Steve, one of our elders. So for those of you in the balcony, you want to receive prayer. For others, as we sing together, just come forth for a few minutes and let the Lord minister you. Let's all stand. Let's sing, and as the Lord leads you, let's pray.
is found in a person and it is out of receiving this rest from this person Jesus Christ that we are to live that out in a practice and that's the invitation for us today our prayer team will be here as long as we need Uh, some of you you're exhausted you're tired you're fatigued 
you need the invigorating power of the Holy Spirit. Some of us need to learn how to say no. Some of us need to learn how to put, create boundaries in our lives, how to work out of a place of rest. And so um, I want to invite you to, uh, there's the FAQs in this bulletin here. You might have a lot of questions about um, where do you go from here. Uh, the hope is that you would experiment with this, that you would begin to practice. We're doing this in a community, share with each other how you're growing, how you're failing. But the core of this message is the rest that your soul desperately needs is found in Jesus Christ. And when you entrust your life to him, he gives deep abiding peace. Some of you, you're not a Christian. You've come to church, you're watching online, you're not a Christian, which means you've never experienced the kind of rest that God longs for you to have. And Jesus Christ dies on a cross for our sin. He resurrects in great power so that when we trust in him, we exchange our own soul exhaustion for the deep abiding rest that only he can give. And so our prayer team is here. Uh, whoever's going to be offering, uh, invite whoever's going to offer the bread and the cup to come to the table as well. Our brother Jeff will offer the bread and the cup. And so you can come and take bread, dip it in the cup, knowing that Jesus Christ has secured for us the rest we need through his broken body and poured out love and great mercy and grace poured out for us. And so whether you come up for prayer, whether you come for the bread and the cup as the Lord leads you, uh, feel free to come forward. But as we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And may this posture be a sign of receiving. May the Holy Spirit pour out on you his rest, his joy, his peace. May he lead you in the way that you should go to mark this practice of Sabbath, this rhythm of Sabbath for an exhausted world. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit exchanging your exhaustion for the rest that only Jesus Christ can give. And this week, may the Lord give you wisdom and revelation to know what to say yes to, to know what to say no to, to begin to practice stopping and resting and delighting and contemplating, fully experiencing the rest Jesus Christ gives, out of which you hold on to this practice for the sake of not just your soul, for the sake of your family, for the sake of this community, for the sake of the world around you. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the rest-giving name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. amen. Grace and peace.